mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. I'm Russell Tovey. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. So how are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny. And that is because today's guest is making me think about my childhood on so many different levels. Very personal ones, because today's guest actually knows my mum. Um, because yeah. I grew up in a town called Maidenhead on the edge of another little village place called uh, Cookham, which is also the home of the amazing painter Stanley Spencer. And it's the town where I learned to sing in the church and I spent most of my time like in Cookham. And in that area, there were lots of kind of TV presenters and radio DJs and celebrities kind of living in that area. Everybody from like um, Chris Rea, the singer, like Elton, Elton John wasn't far because he was in uh, Windsor. And then we had people like um, Ulrika Johnson and all these amazing different people. Well, did you see Uri these people Geller as a kid? Did you see all these people? Well, I know yeah, you're yeah, friends, yeah. You're, you were see... friends with Uri Geller. Yeah. We know I, that I, story. Well, I, I, saw, I saw everybody, yeah, because you would go to like local fates and things like that. But today's guest was actually the person that set up a local radio station called Cookham FM um, in the late 90s. And I was about 16 and my mum said to me, you should go and present like a show once a week. I think we did two or three of them where we went and played our favourite songs. So... I'd forgotten about that. So actually, it was a kind of like early lesson of what mm -hmm. we've been doing for the last few years. Mm -hmm. So who knew? But he's also somebody that was a, a light in my childhood. Like he presented an amazing TV show called Wackaday um, from 1985. And I was about five or six. And I just remember it was like every week it would bring joy to my life. And I was Same. obsessed with all the guests like Kylie Minogue and all these people. So, yeah, I'm really excited. Yeah, I was obsessed with that show as well. And I wanted uh, the mallet cuddly toy as a kid Seriously. i remember looking at that and thinking i want that mallet in this in the kind of multicolored specs that's something i was really really coveting um but our <laughs> guest today oh our guest is holding up the mallet oh my yes. god oh my our god. guest today is and it's to paraphrase their own catchphrase is utterly brilliant so totally, we would like yeah. to welcome to talk art Timmy Mallet. Wow, what a great introduction. Thank you, chaps. I really oh. like that. That was a lovely introduction. And uh, remembering the little radio station we had, Robert, um, Cookham Summer FM, do you remember where the studios were? I do. I remember it very clearly because it was so eccentric in a way. It was in the um, ticket hall of Cookham uh, train station. That's right. Yeah, what? What do you mean? So we're in the waiting room. We set up the studio, and that meant that people coming in would go to uh, buy their tickets. I'll have a travel card up to London, please. And then they would sit there and watch uh, everybody doing their shows. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and what was your show like, Robert? Well, it was me and my best friend, who's now an editor and radio producer called Philip Kemp. He works for the BBC on kind of Newsnight and things like that, I think. Right. Um, but he and I used to play pop music and Good. we got a kind of like 6 p.m slot or 7 p.m slot so i think it actually didn't have many many ticket people you know many train goers or whatever it was a quieter slot at night time and i at the time my brother had died and i was really angsty and i 
I sort of associated Cookham a lot with the church. And because I'd grown up with the church, because my mum went there and my dad went there and everything, um, I was kind of really rebellious. And I remember playing loads of songs like Tori Amos's Crucify or like um, Skunk and Nancy Selling Jesus. And I think we were a bit re- rebellious um, and a bit anxious. Didn't you have REM Losing My Religion? REM Losing My Religion. And you slip these out furtively onto the, <laughs> onto the radio station. It actually was an amazing experience because it, it did actually give us a chance to play music we loved, but also talk and communicate and kind of build our confidence. And my mum was really keen for me to do it and I did go on to obviously have a career in music and I think it's funny that those kind of formative experiences really can sort of help you and last and I think the thing that I took away from it was your generosity because you used to come at the beginning of the recording sessions and make sure everyone was all right and and I always remembered how generous you were and kind you were and that's actually one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show because part of your world that I think some people don't know about is art and it's a huge part of your life and I think really does connect to this idea of kind of generosity because I know that you love sharing your paintings with people so um yeah we're looking forward to talking to you what a lovely thing to say Robert I really appreciate that that's very kind of you to say that I remember one of the things we did say to anybody who did a show was play what you like uh, and say what you like, but remember you're talking to your family and friends. So, you know, you're going to have to live with them afterwards. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what a nice thing to say and what a pleasure to be with you both on your lovely podcast. Thanks for having me. So, yeah. So, well, you you were a massive part of our childhoods and many people's childhoods and you were presenter alongside, you know, us growing up. But did you, were you an artist, a visual artist? Because people are really discovering now how much of a modern impressionist you are. Was you creating uh, paintings and drawings alongside this time of your life? You must have been so busy. I've always loved art. I've always um, loved the opportunity to, to paint or draw. Um, and my dad encouraged me as a, as a kid and I had good teachers at school who send you off to look at interesting artists. They'd look at what you're producing and say, go and have a look at uh, and um, during the course of, of Wackaday and the Wide Awake Club, there wasn't quite a lot of time yeah. for no. art. But even though I liked it, uh, it, it didn't get a lot of look in except on the filming shoots. So I'd go on a filming shoot and uh, always take watercolours with me. So um, if we're short of a story, the director would say, tell you what, Timmy, paint a picture and tell us about it and I'd get the watercolours out and pen and ink and do a little sketch and then chat about it and for some reason it's fascinating to watch an image appear from a piece of paper yeah and uh, to to share a story so I've got some of those hanging on my walls um a picture with uh with a camel and a a, a camel herder I suppose outside the <laughs> the pyramids of uh, Giza or, you know, um, in Moscow, uh, we're doing a story about Toastbusters. You know the film Ghostbusters? We did Toastbusters. And (laughs) based upon the the stories and the the images of Stalin's wedding cake, the the gorgeous big uh, Soviet buildings in the middle of Moscow, I painted those. Yeah. So who who were the artists that you were like told to go and look at or explore further because it feels like van gogh is uh, van gogh is uh, a huge influence in your work well i 
Actually, at school, I remember growing up and loving the uh, Vermeer and the Dutch 17th century artists. Yeah. Oh. So I really liked the, the, the genre of the um, of those... Uh, Light. Weird, painting, weird painters like uh, Adrian and Isaac Van Ostade or Rysdale or Bruegel. Uh, and there's some great collections. In fact... Um, here in Britain, we collected many of these artists during the 17th century. They were very, very popular. So if you go to uh, galleries like, for instance, um, the the Manchester City Art Gallery, it's mm -hmm. got one of the greatest collections of, of Dutch uh, landscape arts uh, mm. outside of Holland. Uh, and it's lovely. Wow. And then Vermeer, uh, you know, with his... 30 odd paintings that's all the ever that's all that's that survived and and they are beautiful works of art um when i was at school uh, uh art teacher said go and have a look at um blake because the bloke is nuts and i just remember <laughs> that thinking why am i looking at this bloke who's nuts he said well look at the way he drew um uh uh bodies you know figures he put all these muscles in which don't exist when you look at them you think there's a weird shape to those arms and legs the bloke was clearly off his tree uh, but could could paint these weird and wonderful stories he's the sort of bloke that you like his paintings but you know that if he came for a dinner at your house you'd think yeah. <laughs> when are you leaving? Should we book you an Uber? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Have you have you always been? Because it feels like the teacher was channeling your eccentricities at that age to go and look at someone else who maybe was more eccentric in their creativity. Have you always been quite outwardly eccentric? Do you think from a young age? I, I, questioning, I think, is uh, is the yeah. word. It's about exploring and looking at different artists. He put us on to. The fairy fella masterstroke. What's that? Is that is that Richard Dad, who painted oh, yeah. two or three paintings? He, he was in a uh, put into an asylum because he, I think he'd done in uh, a family member, and so they locked oh, him wow. up. And while he was in prison, he took to his paints and painted the fairy fella's masterstroke. Look it up on the internet. It's a beautiful piece what, of work. What are they like? Wow. What is it? What are the paintings like? With I'm imagining fairies at the well, end of the garden. Well, there's a, there are fairies, but the fairies with little goblin faces and, and and they tell stories and they make you pause and look at things. Then of course there's the impressionists, uh, and that's always a great place to start with impressionism. I've been thinking about impressionism a lot in the last couple of weeks actually, because it's 150 years ago that impressionism happened and it happens because there's a refugee claude monet take took his wife and family to escape the franco-prussian war of 1870-1871 it's one of those silly little wars that was uh, started by a politician bismarck uh, to to get one over on uh, on france and france at that stage was um, ruled by Napoleon's grandson, who was had a good name, but didn't have any great tactics. They went to war without any maps. They didn't know the way. What was his name? Napoleon III. Oh, okay, right. He was a Bonaparte, Napoleon III, and uh, he uh, he got beaten in a within about ten minutes uh, at Sedan and uh, captured, 
uh, abdicated, was taken care of actually by Queen Victoria. Mm-hmm. Look, this is a, that's a by the by. In yes. a sense, what happens is France, uh, Paris is invested by uh, by the. The, the German army. Uh, and so there's Claude Monet escaping the war and being called up by coming to London. And he stayed in Norwood, South London. If you look at some of those paintings, the, the, the snow scenes and the little commuter trains, and he painted these lovely images of, uh, of South London. But he also stayed uh, on the Strand. And there's a famous painting of the... Uh, pier being dismantled by Westminster Bridge and in the background is the Houses of Parliament and the Elizabeth Tower and it's newly built it was only built in the 1860s so he's painting something brand new but when you look at it you think oh that's been there forever it's a beautiful moody painting and then he looked the other way down the river to towards um, the, the, the docks and there's the, the, the shapes coming into the docks. There's no image of the um, Tower Bridge because it wasn't built. It wasn't built until the 1890s. Oh, but wow. he paints in <clears throat> early morning this sunrise and, uh, with the docks and there's a misty boat going across the river. And it's two or three strokes of paint of, on the sunrise and he calls it Sunrise and Impression. And in 1874, he exhibits it with his fellow artists Camille Pissarro and Sura, uh, and the the critics absolutely rubbished it. Said, Impressionism, this will never catch on, and the public adored it. <clears throat> and you go, hang on a second, that's a hundred and fifty years ago, this month. And it was called Impressionism because of the critics, because the critics were like, this is Impressionism, and they claimed it for themselves, did they? No, the critics rubbished it uh, because he'd called this painting Sunrise and Impression. Uh-huh. And they said it's unfinished, it's a splodge of paint, it's not worth <laughs> looking at. Uh, and yet the public understood instantly that the way he was dealing with a, a national tragedy of France being beaten in this war yeah. was to say nothing's, you can't rely on anything. You can, you can only rely on the moment. And so he painted the moment. He said, I'm going to look at light how light changes every few seconds. So try and paint light. And it's, it, it speaks to us now 150 years later and people adore Impressionism because it's in the moment. It's the here and now of living. And that's what I love about art. It's about seizing the day, carpe diem, paint what you see, not what you know. Mm. It's interesting as well because that that single moment has actually gone on to have such a huge impact on art. Like if you think of contemporary artists like who recently passed away, but like Howard Hodgkin, like he couldn't have existed really without without that history and that mm. kind of knowledge. And then that essential moment, the idea of the sun that rises every day, even if you have just lost a war or, you know, your life does continue and things go on. I just find it so poetic. But But it's really interesting if you think of other people like Marcel Duchamp and like the impact his you know, thinking had on contemporary art later as well. But I think often people forget about Impressionism and and how radical it was, you know, at the time. And that huge legacy, you know, that still still has an impact today, like you say. Mm -hmm. I think so. I think it's got a huge impact. Uh, And it's lovely to think that it was created by a refugee. Mm, A refugee who's fleeing his home country. He's... uh, uh, 
he's out of his comfort zone mm. and he's saying, how do I deal with everything that's going wrong around me? <clears throat> Be in the moment, seize the day. Uh, and so uh, his paintings and the movement of Impressionism speaks to me. And, and I like the way that um, whenever I'm looking for an image to paint, it is that moment. Out you go. And if you've got your phone with you, you've always got a camera, you've got a sketchbook. Click, click, click. Back in the studio, put them on the screen. Ah, right. There's the light. There's the colour. There's the texture of the day. Paint it. Do you bring a sketchbook with you most places now? Yes, I do. Um, sketchbook, but more importantly, the phone. Because right. it's taking the pictures and looking at them. Um, when I cycled the big uh, pilgrimage route I did a couple of years ago, the Camino de Santiago, I set off with the impre- uh, you know the the idea of cycling and painting this adventure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So by painting it, you're in the moment. Uh, you just you've got to spend time looking and thinking about what you're seeing. But how would that work, Timmy? Would you? Because you're known as the cycling artist. This is something that people know you for. But how does that work? Because you went off for two months on your own, and mm. uh, the, for people that don't know, this is 800 kilometres that are in that is across the north of Spain. This Camino de Santiago, I'll, right? I'll stop you there, Russell. No, it's oh. 800 kilometres when you go from the Pyrenees to Santiago de Compostela. But I set off from home. So I set off from here and (laughs) first decision right at the end of my drive. Do I go left or right? I'm heading to Portsmouth. And cycled across England down to Portsmouth, got the ferry to France, cycled all the way down through France. And and this was made doubly difficult because I went in March thinking I'm going to get the gorgeous spring colours, the newness of the new year. But actually it was the year we had the beast from the east and oh, torrential God. storms. And so uh, it was a, a physical struggle. But on the back of the bike, I've got two panniers and I've got a dry bag in which are art boards and uh, foam boards, actually, nice and light, some acrylic paints, uh, some watercolours. And then um, off I go and carry the whole lot and set it up as I'm going. So, would you, so that, what are the rules you set yourself? Would you just stop every day and is it a painting a day or would you sort of take a picture and then work on it at night when you're not cycling? Because obviously you're not painting and cycling while you're on the bike going along. Or are you? <laughs> <laughs> that would be a challenge, right? Yeah. Motion painting. Oh, my God. Uh, I, I wanted to... I, I spent the autumn beforehand, the autumn and the winter beforehand, working out how am I actually physically going to do this? And I, I wanted to do it in oils, but they're too slow to dry and they're messy yeah. and they get everywhere. And acrylics are quite forgiving and they dry quickly. And, it, you know, you can, there are shortcuts you can take. Watercolours will always work, though even they can take quite a long time to dry. Mm-hmm. So I would uh, set up the paints on the back of the bike, use the the, the box, if you like, on the on the back of the stand and use that as my easel. That works fine when it's a, a, a fine day, but yeah. if it's beast from the east and a storm going on, and right, I'll take some images, maybe a little sketch, and work it up in my accommodation at night. But I'd, I'd paint every day, certainly, um, maybe two or three images a day, and um, just keep make sure that I recorded everything. And if 
if necessary, I'd uh, work it up later on when I got back home and I'm in my studio over the autumn and the winter. But you'd I'd, stack, I'd stack them up on the back. hundred paintings now, I should wow. think. But you'd stack them up on the back of the bike if they were the canvases and then obviously you just turn the page over if it was the pad. You must have been travelling around in the end with... You know, quite an expensive cargo because some of your paintings <laughs> can sell for thousands of pounds, and you make yeah, you're an award-winning artist. Yeah. So uh, I shipped some home. Oh, you did. Uh, oh. Yeah. Halfway down through France, and then I was very fortunate that my good pal uh, Stevie, who's Lorraine Kelly's husband, oh. the two of them were driving down to Spain and uh, made a big detour to come and find me and bring me some more boards, take away completed work. And he did it on the way back as well. So actually, uh, I would have with me about 40, 40, 50 boards or something that I could carry at any one time and um, uh, and fill them up. <laughs> I saw an amazing video of when Lorraine and her husband met you um, and, and they were like, oh, you know, you look so healthy because obviously you've been cycling so much. And you were kind of excited to see them. But at the same time, you were a bit like, I've just realized I've now got to go on a huge rest of this journey. And it was like on your own. And the idea that you'd just seen them, your friends, and, you know, you felt that connection. But then suddenly you realized, actually, it's quite, there's a trepidation to the next, yeah, the next kind of leg of your journey. Yeah, I'm comfortable with my own space. I don't mind my own company. That's fine. But when they left, then I found myself thinking, oh, uh, I'm all on my own in this strange town. Mm. What am I going to do here? But every day, every day you're faced with decisions. Here's the simple thing. If you're hungry, you go to your fridge. If you're tired, you go to your bed. But every day I'd wake up not knowing where I'm going to eat, um, where I'm going to sleep, who I'm going to meet, or even which way I'm going to go. I've got a vague idea of the route I'm going to take today. But you'd come to a junction, do I go left or right? And as long as I'm going generally in the right direction, I, I would say I don't think that matters. But every day you're making decisions. Uh, and it reminded me again about our good pal Claude Monet. There he was in a strange land trying to make sense of the food, of the customs, Mm. and painting what he saw and how weird it all looked. And I was really touched by um, something that happened to you just before you left. So um, really sadly, your your brother Martin passed away, and it was kind of just before your trip, no, like before the beginning of it. And I was really interested in this this journey that you went on for that period of time um, and whether the art helped you to kind of process the grief that you must have felt and that kind of, you know, intense sadness from losing Martin and, and, and whether you see art as a tool for healing because so much of your whole attitude since day one and partly why I think you were such an icon in our childhood was your, your positivity yeah. and the kind of positive mental thinking. And I, I wonder if art has played a role in that for you too. Possibly is the answer. Uh, Martin had Down syndrome and Mm -hmm. uh, language and learning difficulties, but made the most of every single day. And even with those those challenges he had in his life, he would just be absorbed in the nowness of living. 
if he was here now, he'd be looking at the screen and he'd be joining in the conversation. He'd be going, my name's Martin. And he'd want to introduce himself to you and yeah. to be part of it. And then, OK, off he goes and, and does what he's going to do. And Martin just reminded me about that business of uh, of don't get too consumed with where you're going or where you've been. It's where you are right here, right now that matters. And that's not something that we do very much of. We, we're not very good at that. We're more, more often than not working about where we'd like to be, what we'd like to achieve instead of the nowness. So that was my thinking with Martin. And just before I, uh, he, he died a week before I set off and at his funeral in Aberdeen, my big brother found his, um, his name tags. You know those things that your mum sews into your clothes to show oh, yes baby. like your your name embroidered out on a little tag that mm. you then yeah. you then fix into a jumper or a jacket so you don't lose so it people at school else. know it's yeah. yours yeah God, so my memories. big brother paul gave me these name tags uh, and uh, he said here you might want to use them and and i thought i wonder if i can mark the journey as i'm going so uh, that's what i did so when it came to somewhere like a, a great view or a, a church or a castle or somebody i met or a vineyard i don't know doesn't really matter wherever it was or wherever i was doing a painting i'd just slip a martin mallet name tag somewhere and and just mark them and so oh. in the book i've written showing some of the paintings and uh talking about this journey with my memoirs from Wackaday and timmy on the tranny and other different shows i've done um uh there's a there's a map so you can follow the route but not just that you can see the exact location of every single martin name tag and um, oh really wow. yeah it just meant that it meant i'll show you I'll, I'll just so in a book there's a yeah we have the book here we have you the book have here the book. yeah yeah so you've yeah. got an amazing I, book i hadn't realized oh yeah called utterly so are, brilliant are all the illustrations done by you of course yeah, yeah i thought yeah, they were yeah yeah, yeah. so it's beautifully uh, illustrated the whole through. heading uh, they said to me, the, the, the publisher said, oh, Timmy, we've got a bit of space at the start of each chapter for, for some drawings. You can yeah. probably get seven or eight drawings into each one. And um, there's 25 chapters. So do you think we could have those by next Thursday? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so, good to have a deadline sometimes. Yes, yeah, having a deadline. So uh, I went through my sketchbook and I went through my photos and the drawings and the paintings and I thought, yes, okay. And I'll illustrate the route uh, of each chapter heading with um, with some black and white line drawings. Um, They're yeah. amazing. They're brilliant. Everyone should get this book. Utterly brilliant. Timmy Mallet. You've got some incredible quotes in there. Your friend, Lorraine Kelly, says it's a must read. Keith Lemon calls you what a lovely man. Uh, yeah, Professor yeah. Brian Cox says it's beautifully written. And then we've got Chris Evans back there. And Chris Evans was uh, kind of one of your protégés, was someone who worked with you early on in know, his career. Yeah. And uh, he says there's not many people who have put themselves through this much to achieve their dream. Timmy has always aimed for the summit and most importantly remembers to smile and take time to reflect along the way, which is a lovely quote. It's nice, isn't it? It's a Amazing. Nice quote. So both he and um, Brian Cox worked as little gophers on my radio show in Manchester, <laughs> Timmy on the Chinese radio show. And it, or whenever I see him, uh, uh, I, I never call him Chris. He's always nobby. 
because that was the character <laughs> he played. And so, hello, Nobby. And he goes, hello, boss. Uh, even now, you know, you know, nearly 40 years later, he calls me boss. It's funny, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you were nice. saying earlier on about um, growing up and being exposed to artwork early on, but your, your dad and your older brothers taught you how to paint, right? Yeah, there's a lot of these things about the, my dad's paintings on the wall and the way he would use a knife, a, a palette knife or, or his colour palette, and he'd say, just experiment and, and try things. Use was he an eye. artist that was making commercial money from art, or was he? Was it a hobby? He started off as a um, uh, in uh, as a commercial artist. Uh-huh. Yes, he worked in advertising, so he'd do these lovely, very, very exciting um, artworks. And uh, he was a keen amateur artist thereafter. But I think that's that that love of art has always been there in our family. Yeah. And I find now the 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 more I do of it, the more I sharpen my eyes. Just keep your eyes sharp. Look for images to paint and draw, uh, mm. and be inspired by every single day. Because there's always something. Today I was out on my bike earlier, uh, and it's been raining a lot, so there's an awful lot of flooded tracks and flooded fields. Yeah, it was too cold to, to, to do the painting from the back of the bike today, but I took some images and I'm going to set up uh, in my studio with them tomorrow and have a little go. Wow. You know, there's a really amazing photo in the book of you from 1980. I think the title of the, the photo is um, If You Can't See the Colour, Turn Up the Volume. And there's this picture of you with, like, your hair, and it's in probably about 10 different colours within your hair. So you've ble- bleached your hair and then dyed it all different colours, like a kind of painting in itself. And your, your, your yellow shirt you're wearing has all these multicoloured spots on, again, like a painting. And yeah. it really struck me, that one photo, that kind of summed up so much about the way that you communicate and use your body and the whole, the whole way you would perform on TV, almost like performance art or kind of like this total experience of somehow expressing yourself through colour. Um, you know, and even in your glasses, because Russ said to me, earlier like you know don't you have those glasses that he's wearing on the front cover of the book and I said well no but you know what the glasses you had on Mallet's Mallet that were this kind of like patterned used to wear oh there we go this is a great one but um I love these glasses um but you know you you often wore like many glasses at once as well which Martin Creed an artist that I work with a bit he does that too it's quite conceptual isn't it yeah quite conceptual exactly but I was always obsessed with the way that you dressed as well like was that something that you were conscious of and like you were you were coming out of a kind of punk era yeah so I I kind of almost see you the possibility for you to have existed in mainstream culture as being like thanks to like Vivian Westwood or Malcolm McLaren Mm. or like Toya Wilcox and Kate Bush and all these people like were you aware of that kind of yeah in a sense I probably was um somebody said uh, along the way said you can always make a statement on TV by what you wear, not necessarily just by what you say or do. So just the appearance can have an impact. And so you remember on Wackaday, you know, wear twin peaks, both both baseball caps, have 
odd socks on, roll one leg of your shorts up, um, wear as much colour as you can. And that worked very nicely in the 1980s. We're, we're possibly slightly less colourful these days, but I'm not. I still have lots of colour uh, and I adore uh, colour. Uh, and you would expect my paintings to have some colour. Um, so I hope you're not too disappointed when there is colour, but they tend to be... Um, yeah, yeah, you'd expect my paintings to have colour, wouldn't you? But the, the, I think that your paintings have a lot of light. So you were talking about Vermeer earlier on being attracted mm. to his painting, and that's obviously all about the light. That's what people mm. concentrate on with his practice. But your paintings, the light, the sun hitting, the, the sun going down, the, ah, the crisp now, I really like, Russell, I like backlighting on a painting. I think, oh. I, ah. I think backlighting and silhouettes... Uh, are really uh, exciting. You get so much drama uh, from from backlighting, and which is why I think um, the lighting in winter sunlight is yeah. is more colourful and more dramatic than in the uh, height of summer. Look at Hockney's paintings. Yes, I see a lot of Hockney in your practice. There's one of these twigs going down a country lane, and you've the country lane has the colouring palette that Hockney is attracted to and a lot of Hockney's iPad drawings, which I don't know if you've seen a lot of them, the way that he connects with the light through them and the way that the, the color palette he cho chooses and the choices for, you know, he goes against the conformity of what the colors he's seeing. He uses like inverts them. And I can see a lot of that in your practice. Thank you. Well, I like Hockney. I think he's great. I think he's really exciting and, and he doesn't need to do it, does he? But he does it because he loves it. I'm reading a really interesting book from 1943 called Peace in War by Edward Sego. You ever heard of Edward Sego, the artist? No. no. Okay, look him up. Brilliant. Wonderful. Um, East Anglian Impressionist artist from uh, the 1930s, 40s, 50s, right up until the 70s. He was collected, actually, by uh, the Queen Mother. Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, used to collect his work. Oh, wow. He's he's not well known these days, but he his writing and his storytelling about his paintings are joyous, really lovely. Uh, I find that it's a nice, restful thing to read just before I go to sleep. And the, the pictures in the book are in black and white. It's like, oh, Chris, is, come on, you had colour in 1943. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever have you ever met any famous artists? You must have had so many guests that you've met across the years on radio shows and everything. Did you ever meet Hockney, for example, or did you ever meet anyone that really excited you in the art world? No, I haven't, no, and I'd like oh. to. Be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it'd be nice. No? What about Who you? Yeah, we're meeting yeah, well, you. We're meeting Timmy Mallet. We're meeting Timmy Mallet. <laughs> yeah, well, we, 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 we've met lots of artists because of our podcast, obviously. And also, I, I run a gallery here in Margate, so I, I work with many different artists. Luckily, it's been the best thing that ever happened to me. Mm. But what, what were your highlights when you were doing your TV show? Because I was really jealous when I was younger that you knew Kylie Minogue. And uh, she was like my total hero. And I, I distinctly remember thinking, like, this is really unfair. I want to be on that TV show. But, like, who, who, who did you meet back then that you, that you did? Are there highlights of that era for you? There's lots of different highlights of that era. 
at the time, you know it's uh, it's a lovely moment, but you don't realize just quite how lovely it is. Mm. Right. Uh, Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, so there wasn't very many choices for you to watch TV. Breakfast mm. TV was brand new in 1983. Brand new. Uh, okay, so uh, TV used to start at about four o'clock in the afternoon and then it would go off at midnight. Well, now you have 24-hour TV and you have a squillion different channels mm. and you have a million different places to get your entertainment. You know, people will sit down and say, oh, I don't going to watch TV. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, uh, you know surf through YouTube tonight or I'll go through all the different podcasts that I can listen to. So there's so much more material now um, and, and you have to find it. In those days, there was very little choice uh, and everybody watched. So when you were watching uh, uh, as a youngster growing up, you, you know, you you didn't have anything else to watch, did you? And I remember at the time being aware of that. I remember thinking, well, okay, be nice to your audience because they'll be nice to you when they grow up. And they have been. been Here we are. Here we are. Here we are, exactly. <laughs> but also, you, you, you worked with people like Mike Myers, who went mm. on to do Austin Powers, mm. and it's really strange. It really sort of resonates with me, this idea that somehow you'd worked with him. Because if you, even if you look at what he went on to do, mm. he's so kind of performative with his body. And there's a lot of the stuff that you were it's doing. A lot it's of really clown- there's a lot of clowning that runs through uh, yeah, what you were doing actually, and what he yeah. sort of does. Yeah, I guess. Kind of when, when he came yeah. in, he was doing Shrek, you know, one of the, one of the Shrek movies. And uh, I was invited to the launch and he came up to me and he said, Timmy... Every time I come and do a movie over here, only the only thing anybody ever asks is, what was it like working with Timmy? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice of you, Mike. Thanks very much. And he said, I'm so thrilled that, that we had that opportunity to do the Sound of Sleep Club. How nice. How, how nice that is. And Kylie, what a joy. Absolutely lovely. We gave her a little wacky plaster when she played Mallet's Mallet. She wow. lost. The child beat her. And we oh gave her a wacky plaster on the knee, which said, I should be so wacky. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about that mallet, and I said in the intro that I was I was desperate for a mallet's mallet, but there was some controversy in 2002 where West Ham United Football Club also has a hammer mascot, which apparently you said they weren't allowed to continue reproducing because you thought mallet's mallet was the only legitimate mallet. So this is Pinky Punky, 
Yeah. Uh, he's the cute and cuddly version of big mallets mallet. And, and you know, people were saying, I want to have a, a mallet's mallet, a big mallet. Well, uh, I, I wanted to have a, a cute and cuddly mallet, um, a, a version of that who acted as if you like, like the audience on the uh, on the TV. You know, he'd pop up and go, Mr. Mallet, Mr. Mallet, can I go to the toilet? Um, and uh, West Ham, God bless them, lovely football club, came up with a almost an identical copy to, um, and they called it Herbie the Hammer or something. I said, oi, you can't do that because this is my my pinky punky and, you, you know, if you're going to have a Herbie the Hammer, it's got to be a different design. They said, yeah, okay. So they stopped. And they Herbie. stopped, didn't they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well done. You need to protect protect your universe, I say. Protect well, pinky it, punky. It, it, a good message for It's nothing against West Ham. It really isn't. And, <laughs> no. and, you know, lovely football club and all of that. But, you know, the pinky punky and mallet's mallet, that's, those are mine. So the Mallet's Mallet actually went out of the TV studio and it ended up in the Houses of Parliament, I believe, and you got in the Houses of Commons and you got to meet Margaret Thatcher in the 80s. Is it true that you actually bonked her on the head with the Mallet's Mallet? So it was the House of Commons <laughs> Christmas party for children of MPs. And I was there with um, Kim Wilde. I think she wow, was... Wow, I love Kim Wilde. She was in the charts at the time. And um, the Prime Minister turned up and she said, oh, what's that? I said it's mallet's mallet. She says, "What does it do?" <laughs> and you, you attacked her. <laughs> you attacked her. Uh, the it does this bosh? And there's a photo of the moment with a, a, a flunky behind. He's got this look of, of utter terror. Oh my god, he's just about to hit the prime minister. Oh, it's so genius. Did she laugh? I would yeah, love yeah. if that made it into the crown. Oh, if, if that is an image, is there an image of you bonking Margaret Thatcher over the head with the mallet? Look in the book. Okay. Now, there is a picture in the book of right. him. Well, he looks like he's to about to do it, but I wasn't sure if you actually did it or not. We're going to have to put genius. that on the Instagram feed. That needs to be in the crown. They need to have that. <laughs> that's a whole episode <laughs> building up episode. to that moment. <laughs> I mean, forget Diana, Ross. I know yeah. you love Princess no. Diana. Diana, Diana would watch with her boys. So oh, no. Yeah, Wills and Harry watched um, Whackaday. Yeah, they loved playing Mallet's Mallet as kids. Yeah. Oh, my God. I did you meet that. Princess Diana? Did you do any work for her charities or...? No, I don't think I, I did meet her. No, I'm I'm trying to think now if I'm ever met her at one of her, you know, the the royal variety or something like yeah. that. I might have done then. I'm trying to think. I don't I don't think I did meet her. No, um, sorry. That's okay. So we there's an amazing um, thing which I was watching yesterday and today is you you have like a YouTube channel and I don't know if it's an Instagram live that goes out but they end up on YouTube and it's you in yeah, your studio. Yeah, it's on Instagram as well. It's on Instagram. Yeah. It's yes. you and you. Oh, yeah. now I do this. Russell, th thanks yeah. for bringing that up. So during lockdown, um, in the first lockdown, people were desperate for content. Yeah. So I did a couple of, uh, uh, of Facebook live painting sessions and I found them a little distracting because I'd set the camera up and, and hang on a second, I'm, I'm busy working and people were asking questions and, and wanting a reply. Well, I've realised since then that it doesn't actually matter. So uh, I'll, uh, what I'll do is I go into my studio, I, I set the camera going and I start painting. And then I'm just talking to myself and talking about what I'm painting and why I'm doing it mm. and occasionally turn around and put the camera closer to the work so you can see. And then those images, those videos will turn up on the YouTube channel. That's right. But I've also been doing these live on TikTok as well. I've tried them on all the different platforms. I've tried them on Instagram and on Twitter, 
TikTok is fascinating because um, then people are, are scrolling through. They're just constantly looking. Oh, wow. Let's show me the paintings. And they want to see. Uh, and so quite a few thousand people at any one time will come on and just watch because it's like on Wackaday, uh, Robert, when you see a painting emerge, it's like, how did that happen? Yeah, the magic Why of are you it. starting there? What, yeah. what are you putting those blobs of colour on? And then you come away and, and two minutes later you can see, oh, it's the cherry blossoms. You were a, a TikTok sensation, though, because of some yellow paint, right? What was that about? <laughs> this is some old yellow paint that you had. It's a weird little video, this. I was painting the sunflowers. Yeah. And um, I had a little tube of zinc yellow paint, which I remember buying in 1979 in Italy when I was traveling around, hitchhiking around Italy in the footsteps of Renaissance artists. And I was carrying my paints with me. And I bought this tube of Ferrario um, Italian yellow paint. And I came to the end of it on this, so I, I, I videoed. I said, oh, I've got this tube of yellow. I've just been finishing it off on the sunflowers. And who'd have thought that this would still be working 40 years later? And uh, I don't know, a third of a million people were watching that in, in the next two hours type of thing. It's wow. just wild. It's something to do with uh, the age. How old was I in 1979? Wasn't born Oh, I was such and such. Yeah. It's something to do with sunflowers. Oh, is that a painting or are those real sunflowers? Something to do with the music, because I put on Vincent by Don McLean and Lovely. the association with with Vincent van Gogh. Starry, starry night. And yeah. something to do with just, oh, it's an 18-second video. Remarkable. And here's the tag. The painting is Ferrario zinc yellow paint made in Bracknell. Bracknell? You said the best paints were, are made in Britain, Great Britain, no right? No way. So Bracknell, hilariously, I used to go to a lot because I went to school in Reading in Sonning. So we used to go to Bracknell because it was nearby. And Kate Bryan, who's a mutual friend of ours, she presents on Sky Arts now. She is from Bracknell. Oh. She, Kate Bryan is actually from Bracknell, which... Um, is a fun fact there. There we go. Fans. Fun art <laughs> facts. But all these right paints on. that you had, so you send these yellow paints from 1979. What I've really been kind of moved by is you have paints in your storage, in your paint palettes that are your dad's, which some of them mm. are from like the 1960s. And you're pulling wow. these tubes out. I think there was one before there was even barcodes. There's a, a paint That's palette it. you got. But the paint is still fresh. And now you're making these paintings in 20, 2021, but you're using paint that was 60 years old and bringing so it cool. into this, this time. I find that really... Do you need to get that? No, I don't. I oh. don't. Sorry. That's right. uh, it's I Lorraine Kelly, isn't it? <laughs> it's like, I've got all these paintings in my house. Will you come and pick them up, please, You know Timmy? why, though? Because Lorraine, Lorraine Kelly, Russell will be embarrassed now, but Lorraine Kelly's got a bit of a crush on Russell. Oh. And she said publicly that she that, that is her number one heart. The feeling's mutual. Crazy. The feeling's totally mutual. So we, we have big but, love for But Lorraine. amazing that you have all these paintings of your, your dad. That, that must feel quite emotional for you that you bring these, these out and they're still fresh. They're still there. It's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't, isn't it a joy to, to realise that oil paint really does last a lifetime it just lasts forever so i get the tube of paint out and it will be 
um, lead, a, a lead tube. What? You don't have that? Mm -hmm. uh, and it won't be a, um, a cobalt hue. It'll be cobalt, actual cobalt metal inside it. Or oh, cadmium. God. I mean, cadmium's a heavy metal, isn't it? Mm, and yeah. it's not a hue colour mixed up to look like cadmium. It's actually cadmium. Wow. So you're using the real stuff that the, um, the great masters used. Yeah. Wow. And actually, they've, they've developed like cadmium free colors now, haven't they? Yeah, they have. Yeah, because well, I think it's and, for health reasons or whatever. But... Hue. Uh, uh, yes. So if it's a hue, it, it will be thinner and it'll be an artificial uh, heavy metal color. Amazing. So if people want to see those videos, you can look it up and it's got a very inventive name, which is Mallet's Palette. So we've we've moved into the art zone completely there. I love the title Mallet's Palette. It's just genius. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Robert. I'm glad you do. I, I thought that was a bit of fun. You'd recognize it and people will know. So malletspalette.co.uk. And there you can see um, the paintings I did on the Camino, uh, plus the limited edition prints that are available um, Which are really popular, aren't they? Because I've I actually some of my mum's friends have your prints and are big fans of your art. And I know that you have sell-out exhibitions, don't you? When you've done shows in different places, I'd come down and do one at your gallery. Yeah, you should come down yeah, to my gallery. What's your gallery called, there, Robert? It's a Carl Friedman Gallery, and we also make prints with uh, a company called Counter Editions, which is our sister company. Um, talking of funny stuff, by the way, I wanted to quickly ask you about your. Totally incongruous and unlikely and spectacular collaboration with Skepta, the British rapper, grime artist. Yeah, no. I mean, how the hell did that happen? <laughs> you and Skepta. I just never, I can't really picture the combination, but I watched a video with you with Tim Westwood. It's iconic. It's so weird, It's really weird, but can you talk a bit about Skepta and how that happened? He approached me and said, we're, we're doing, I'm in this band called Boy Better Know. Okay. And uh, I'm doing this, this video and I'd like to do a game of Mallet's Mallet. And would you come and do? Oh, okay. Wow. So we did it. And funnily enough, Robert, not far from where you used to live in Maidenhead. Actually. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, what a lovely fella. It, it was one of those occasions when I was thinking this could either be really, really odd or yeah. utterly brilliant. Uh, and I'm delighted to say it was utterly brilliant. I came back from it. And I remember saying to everybody I met for, afterwards, you won't believe this, but boy, that was fun. It was really nice to meet them and to see their energy and excitement uh, of wanting to play Mallet's Mallet. Wow. Uh, and you actually you actually went with them to the Mobos, didn't you? Or one of the big yeah, music awards, yeah, the British yeah, Awards or something. Did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just like so that was funny. strange. It was like, and there was this whole, here, Mallet? Yeah, it's what, hilarious. What specs were you wearing that night? What colour specs did you go for? Oh, you had a, he had about five pairs. How many, pa how many pairs think... have you got? Because you, you started making custom frames for yourself, didn't you? When, oh, my God, when I remember When you started to get really successful. I wanted to buy some. I remember them being in the shop in one That's of the right. stores. That's right. Well, they, and those, they... I love the pink, and, the pink and yellow kind of speckled ones. They were iconic. Pink iconic and yellow. How many pairs have you got, icon. Timmy? Uh, I've got about half a dozen here. Yeah, just yeah, we're not in that room. We're just slowly you, working got, through about it's an artwork all, all in different itself. ones. He's That's very currently nice. putting them all on. Very very nice. I painted these. Uh, these are fabric paint along the along the top of the uh, wow custom frame here. So uh, and, and these were were made quite exciting with sprongy bits. Yeah. I think the TVAM props department or costume department did those. Wow, well, amazing! So how many do you think you've got though in your oh, whole collection? Hundreds. Hundreds. 
pairs of glasses. But the the difficulty is the lenses because you know the prescription changes over the years. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you get your materials from, by the way? Your your canvases and uh, paints and brushes and stuff. Do you have I somewhere... use Daleroni. I use Daleroni a lot. Uh-huh. I, I love their their brushes. Their synthetic brushes, actually. I prefer those. Uh, I love their oil paints and their canvases. Nice, chunky, gorgeous canvases or the artboards if I'm traveling. Yeah. Um, and of course, the, uh, the watercolor paper, the heavy 300 grams w- uh, watercolor paper. That's nice. And their watercolors are uh, are lovely. Um, I've used Windsor and Newton uh, as well, and uh, usually when I'm travelling, I always find myself into an art shop to go and see what other paints there are. So, I, as I say, I was quite excited by the idea of Italian paints, and then I discovered that they're made by De La Roni's offices. And they've all been shipped to Italy, and you're like, oh, I'm going to get some local paint. And you actually got it. It is all from home. Yeah, wow. You know, they're going off in search of Renaissance art in Umbria and Tuscany has stayed with me over the years. And I discovered um, some great uh, artists. There's a fella called Signorelli Luca who painted the Siena Cathedral and the Orvieto Cathedral. And he was offered the gig of painting the Sistine Chapel. Mm. And he says, do you know, I don't really fancy going to Rome. I'm quite happy here, thanks. I'll stick with what I'm doing here. So, you know, there's old Michelangelo got the gig. And he was a great self-publicist. And now his name is known all over the world. And he wasn't the first choice. (laughs) He wasn't the first choice. Who is he? Uh, we've never seen his work. Well, now you're going to look it up. You're going to go, go and have a look at the the beautiful frescoes in the Orvieto Cathedral, and they are wonderful, absolutely exhilarating. Remind me a bit of, they remind me a bit of Hieronymus Bosch. Yeah. Wow. They tell a story. They bring these figures to life. Love them. Wow. Well, we... Hey, what are we talking about? Where, where did that come from? Did, <laughs> You've got all we... the facts. You've got all these How amazing... How did you get that? Uh, we talking about Italy, the paint in Italy, you doing the Renaissance. Okay. Sure, yeah. I've been excited recently by English artists or British artists, mm. if you like, because, um, because of not being able to travel in the early years of the 19th century during the Napoleonic Wars Mm. um, there was a blockade uh, and you couldn't go to do your grand tour of Europe so British artists went around and uh, got excited by the views all around the United Kingdom Turner is a good example and he uh, so too is um, Constable to a certain extent but Turner in particular Uh, And his paintings uh, got people quite excited by the beautiful, sublime views of the British Isles. Uh, And so if you go and look into a regional gallery anywhere in the United Kingdom, you will find some local gems. There will be an artist there who will be local, who will give you a great view and you'll go, look at what they've done here. It's very exciting. Where are those Monets, the UK Monets? The ones that he painted when he was living on the Strand, and do you know? Do you know? Do you know if they're in like a UK collection? Are they in the Tate or? 
British Gallery or anything? Uh, there'll be gallery. some. The, 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 I think the painting of Westminster Pier and the Houses of Parliament, I think that's in the National Gallery. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but a lot of those paintings went back to France and they're in the Orangery now, aren't they? Or, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm going to try and I know that out. that painting that you mentioned right at the beginning of the episode, the Richard Dad one, the one that's like the fairy fella's master trick. Yeah, master I, need to, I need to see all that. He's an outsider that's, um, artist. That's in the Tate collection. Is it? Yeah, and it's, it's actually on display, size. I think. It's, it's about A3 it's, size. Wow. A4 is it? Because it, it looks so kind of epic. It does remind me of Ron Miss But he's an out, he would so be classed as an outsider artist, right? Self-taught. He would be classed as an outsider artist, wouldn't he? Because he's like self-taught, he's out of the... You know, the educational system is out of the commercial art market. He was just making art for art's sake. Mm. Well, there's lots of great artists around and making great art. And there's always something to be uh, inspired by them. Uh, I, I did like the pre-Raphaelites. Yeah, pre-Raphaelites, totally. you'll find most of those in Manchester or Birmingham. Or Alexander or Andrew Lloyd Webber's private collection i think he's got like the biggest hoard of the pre-raphaelite brotherhoods paintings that really yeah. weird when i went to talk to him about itsy bitsy i walked into his home uh, and there's these pre-raphaelite paintings on the wall and i started talking no. to him about them and he went how come you know about pre-raphaelite art i said well i like it it's one of those subjects i know quite a bit about he said well i've got the largest private collection of pre-raphaelites in the world yeah. So we looked at them and talked about that. And then no he said, now, out of business. Let's talk about itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny. <laughs> that is hilarious. Sublime. And, and that, that, that collaboration with Andrew Lloyd Webber ended up being a number one hit. And Around it still the world. Played at, like, it still played at weddings and all did kinds you, of did, events. Did you like, make, I, I mean, it's crude to ask, but did you make a killing on that money-wise? Did that give you some really nice coin? <laughs> I, I made a couple of quid on it. Couple did of you? Quid. Do you still get royalties now? Because, I mean, it yeah, must be played. Yeah, you do? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's 30 hilarious. years later, and it still is enough to buy uh, a new tube of zinc yellow paint and a couple of brushes, yeah. <laughs> what more do you need in life? Uh, there was actually a really funny thing that happened. You came to my parents' house in Maidenhead yeah. years ago for the Rivertime Boat Trust meeting or something, and um, I was so shocked that you were in our house. I was probably about 12 or something, and I couldn't believe it was you, and I couldn't believe you were real. And my mum was like, Timmy Mallet's downstairs, and I couldn't come downstairs and meet you because I was so shocked. And I ended up playing that record on tape cassette because um, I had the single, they used to call them cassette singles, um, <laughs> in my bedroom so loudly that I, I hoped you would hear it and be like, oh, who's that cool person playing my song? <laughs> and I thought, I thought I'd get you. to meet you that way, but actually it didn't work because I think you were on the other side of the house, so I never got to meet you back then. <sighs> but I was weird, isn't it, that like, that, that kind of the reality and then the, the thing you have in your head of like a star being real. Yeah, starstruck, exactly. But that was a really funny example of me as a kid. I would never forget that. So anyway, we ask every guest that comes on the same two questions. The first one is, if you could do an art heist, if you could have any work of art in the world, whatever it would be, wherever it was from, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, that would be Vermeer. Right. I would have his... Uh, Milkmaid, you know, oh, yes. pouring out the jug of milk. Yes. You know, and she's got the yellow top on. She's got um, a red dress. And it, the the window is open. There's a broken window pane. There's a, a little foot warmer down by her feet. There are holes in the wall. 
um, where they've banged a nail in and she's busy concentrating on the business of pouring out the milk from the jug. Uh, and it just pours forever. It's just a lovely, glorious painting about this lady involved in this business of pouring out a jug of milk. Where have you seen it in the flesh? Oh, yeah, it's in the Rijksmuseum. In, it's uh, in the Rijksmuseum. I think it's one of their most famous attractions. Oh, it's absolutely. It's a glorious piece, and it's about the moment. Yeah. It, and it's a simple little moment. It's about the dignity of, of work, and it doesn't really matter what our job is, um, as long as you do it with, to the best of your ability then that job will have dignity. Yeah. And I like that. I like that feeling of of, uh, uh, of be proud of your job, whatever it is. Don't dismiss it. How do you stay yeah. positive? How, how, what is the key to that, do you think? Especially during the last, you know, obviously you, you, you channeled it crea- creatively into the work more and making stuff, content for people to watch you and feel inspired by what you're doing. But what is the kind of Timmy Malik key to positivity? Uh, a smile doesn't cost much. It's pretty nice <laughs> to smile and greet people and say hello. And then you hear some nice stories. You've given me some lovely stories today uh, about our near meeting, Robert. Yeah. <laughs> near meeting. We got there in the end. Yeah, oh, I think that's I, I, I've always been really struck by the phrase that's actually one of the titles of one of your chapters in your book, but reach your potential. And this idea that we all have within us you know, more and that we can be better versions of ourselves and you can achieve greatness on whatever scale that might be. And it doesn't matter if you're in the Tate or not, but like, you know, you can still be the best version of yourself. And I really take that away from your book, actually. Mm. And and that whole journey you made on the bike as well. I, I find it to be this real idea of like human potential and why not strive for greatness? Well, you don't have to be the best in the world, just the best that you can be. And yes. actually, as soon as you say that, the pressure's off because we can all do that. Just put the effort in. Uh, uh, that's dead easy. Oh, what a relief. I haven't got to compare myself to somebody else. No, the only person you have to compare yourself to is yourself. Oh, right. So are you happy in your own skin? Are you happy with what you're doing? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, have you done enough today? Did you Have you done some work and you see have you painted yes i have actually painted today not a lot but i've painted a bit and i've thought about some art and we've talked and had this lovely conversation about art we've had a lovely conversation about reaching your potential about the fun of mallets mallet and whackaday and i think yeah i'm a lucky fella um i'm hoping to have some limited editions out a new collection of artwork in the spring I've been talking to uh, an art publisher about doing some new works and bringing them out and making them available in the spring. And that came up this week, actually. Uh, And I'm quite excited about that. I'm also thinking, oh, right, better lift my game. Make sure it really is the very best I can do. What's the edition size? What do you normally like to work in when you do a, a print? Uh, I, I, small editions. Uh, I, I think, um, I, I think 50s plenty. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you don't need to do more than that. And, uh, uh, and then you move on to something else. What's it like knowing that people have your art on their walls? What does that feel like? I'm really thrilled with that, Russell. Yeah. I bet. That actually is a great, because I'll paint the picture. And then the last I see of it is when I say I'm happy with that and I've signed it. 
signature is always hidden. It's always somewhere you've got to find it. You're, it's never obvious. And then uh, it goes off to be framed and it will go up to a lovely gallery like your gallery, Robert. And then um, somebody buys it. And it's like a little piece of me is in somebody's home. And it's like, whoa, we've got a connection. How lucky am I? I'm, I feel blessed at that. I'm really fortunate. I also love the democracy of prints and the fact that like people who might not be able to afford a painting yeah. can get, you know, a meaningful piece of your work that you've signed. And we were talking in our book, actually, we've just recorded the audio book. And at the end, there's a whole section about ways of, you know, making art accessible. And we were saying that even postcards, you know, you can buy a really beautiful postcard, for example, of that Vermeer painting you were talking about, you know, put it into a frame and live with that. And that's just as important because I think living with artworks, even if it's just a few, but in your house can really be like a window to another world. And the other message that I actually really took from doing the book the other day, Russ, was be yourself, which is what you were just saying. Mm. And I think that's what we all have to strive for as well as be yourself, because that's enough. And it will actually, by being yourself, I think you will connect mm. and help others, you know. The other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? And I'm really intrigued to find this one out, because obviously... You're all you about colour. You like a lot of colour, yeah. <laughs> But I did notice there is one colour in particular, which I don't know if you're going to say, but it's a theme in your work. It kind of runs through a lot of the paintings. Purple. It's purple, exactly. Is it purple? That's it, yes. What is it about purple? If you look, there's always purple, purple and pink. Always purple. There's always purple in my work. I Often I start, I'll always put a base colour onto the white canvas to um, make sure that the colour goes onto something else. And purple is often that colour. It's also very nice. It works well with other colours. It's a nice complementary colour of, uh, of orange. Um Look at this picture here. There's a Timmy pick. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And what's the so cut? An old postcard. Oh, the diamonds yeah, you're and right. the purple diamonds. The diamonds and the purple background. I thought he was going to say yellow, though, to be honest, Timmy. I thought yellow was going to be the main drive through because of sunflowers now and the logo and... I knew it was going to be yellow, Ross, because there's an amazing... Purple. There's so many paintings of flowers, yeah. but also the skies often have this purple. Oh, yeah, and there's a painting of you with a guy called Hans um, from The Journey, and you're having, like, a meal, and the background wall is purple. Mm. And it, it really struck me. And I started thinking about the colour purple, the book, and like, all these different thoughts. But your, your skies are often this kind of incredible lilac purple. Yeah. Well, skies have the drama, don't they? I mean, mm. I, yes. I, more often than not, I start painting my landscapes with the sky. It's at the top and uh, and there's going to be drama in it. So get the drama in, first of all, and everything else will happen around it. Uh, purple just seems to be a very, very popular colour for my, my palette. So that, there'll be a, a, a cobalt purple or, a, or a, it's a version of magenta almost. It's lovely. I like that. I also like um, alizarin crimson. Uh, that's a good colour to use. And, um, hey, the more colour you can put into the picture, the better. <laughs> yeah. I feel like your Wonderful. practice to me is is kind of inspired and in celebrating man and nature. A lot of your, your works have figures in and, and, and a lot of your works cover nature and then a lot of them combine them both. And it feels like man's place in nature for you and, and all these pilgrimages and these, these cycling and how hand-in-hand hand art and cycling go together for you. Do you feel that that's a... A good way of looking well, at your now, practice. Well, there's an interesting thought there, Russell, because it was something I read last week, actually, and, and you've raised an interesting point. That um, back in the age of the dinosaurs, 
the only plant life we had were ferns and conifers. Now, I love ferns. I love the way they unravel and their DNA stretches back a squillion years. Mm. But plants and colour and deciduous trees and grass and all the colour that we see in nature, that's very recent. That's about 100 million years old. Wow, that's the blink of an eye. That's absolutely no time at all. So um, are we then really fortunate that we are here and now and happen to be seeing the world at its most glorious, its most colourful, its most exhilarating. And here we have this technology whereby we're at different parts of the country talking together and it's being listened to around the world mm. and we're sharing in this joyousness and it's like, wow, are we the lucky ones? Yes, we are. We are really fortunate. Uh, and this is the time to be alive, the here and now, right now. And do you know what? We're going to paint it. Amazing. Yes. Amazing. <laughs> well, carpe oh, diem, Timmy, which is another yeah. phrase that goes, if you seize the day, which is from one of my favourite movies, Dead Poet Society, which Robin Williams says to the boys, carpe diem boys. And That's I feel like you're an actor, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because of that movie. And I, that phrase yeah. means uh, a lot to me. And I find that really powerful and i love that that means a lot to you too this has been a really special episode yeah. and i'm so grateful to get to finally properly talk to you and get to know you a bit better because genuinely you had such an impact in um you know my childhood russell's childhood yeah. and i think about you sometimes like you know it actually really was part of the fabric of our kind of cultural Formative, experience yeah. weirdly I, I think you brought so much light and joy to television yeah, yeah, and for people around the world listening, because we have listeners in like, I don't know, 80 countries now or something, oh, I hope they get to Google you and discover and watch old yeah. videos and stuff because you're fantastic. Thanks very much. And give my love to your mum. I will. <laughs> she, she's very excited. I told her I was doing it. I think she was quite taken aback, actually. Um, she was, <laughs> I haven't she met was your mum yet, Russell, but I will do. You will do. Your, oh, his mum's going to love yeah. you. And they're actually the reason we do the podcast. Yeah. So without them, we wouldn't even be here. Yeah. So thanks to our mum. Yes. Well, that's really good. Really lovely. Now, um, your gallery again, Robert, is? It's called Carl Friedman Gallery, and we're in Margate in Kent. Lovely. And Russell, what's your gallery? Uh, Russell Tovey Foundation. <laughs> He's a big art collector. Yeah, so, the yeah. Tovey Foundation in the making. I haven't got an art gallery That's going to happen moment, one but... day. He's actually just curated a show for Carl Friedman yeah, Gallery that's opening soon. in May, probably, yeah, once May lockdown 21. finishes, with 16 artists. You should come and see it to me. It's yeah. amazing. I will do. Yeah. I will do. Uh, I, I will be there. I, it's I called um, Breakfast Under the Tree. Maybe you can cycle the there. Maybe painting. you can cycle there and stop en route. Uh, that would be fantastic. I will certainly do that because it's a lovely cycle ride down to Margate. Yeah. It's a okay, top good. part of the country. And you can see the Turner Contemporary as well, yeah. the museum, once that opens. Well, thank you so much. All the way from Cookham, Timmy Mallet, Mallet's Palette. Everyone needs to check out his beautiful <laughs> Yeah, on, in, on Instagram. And also read the book. Yeah. Don't forget to buy the Don't book because the book is so beautifully done as well. Yeah, it's like you. really beautifully done. It's and it's out um, now on Amazon and wherever you can get your books. Yeah, SPCK are my publishers. It's called Utterly Brilliant, My Life's Journey. And it's the painting and cycling, the Camino de Santiago from home alone. And we will post links to that on our Instagram Great. and uh, images of all the artworks we've discussed in today's episode. Perfect. Available there. And you can to... visit Timmy's Instagram, which is at Timmy.Mallet. And he's also on Twitter and every single even Twitter, TikTok, all of them. as you heard. Facebook, all of them. I love the, uh, fa I love the fact I've been TikTok. kept off TikTok because <laughs> I've been told I would just never leave it. 
Yeah, you I'd just be performing on it. No, it's <laughs> absolutely addictive, uh, and you've got to get past the, the the opening thing, which is you know silly dances and stuff. But, but that's what you they they start you on, and then you find that it's full of stories, uh, and there's some good art on um, on TikTok, some really interesting art. Well, there you go, Tim. But Timmy Malley, ambassador for the TikTok generation. There, there we yeah. go. <laughs> we'll be back. We'll be back very soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank Thanks, everyone. Cheerio. Bye. 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 You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Toby. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening mom deserves better than a drugstore card this mother's day surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. add your favorite photos a heartfelt message and we'll even mail it for you the same day all for just five dollars from mom to grandma we have something to celebrate every mom in your life every mom deserves a Moonpig card Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com.